Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to Cryptique, where we discuss all things paranormal, occult, UFOs, metaphysical, hidden history, forbidden archaeology, and all things truther. I'm joined by my partner on this journey through the cosmos. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing very well. Glad to hear it. It's, it's I'm very kind of, I'm feeling brief today. <laughs> feeling brief? Yeah, I've noticed how many times I say like, "Oh, I'm excited. We got a bunch of good stuff to talk about." So I'm trying not to. Yeah, this one's this one's mid, maybe. I don't know. Could right. be the best one we ever did. But I'm gonna stop saying I'm excited every time. Well, yeah, you should be excited every time. All right, well, let's get into it. Please like, subscribe, and share. Socials are in the notes. Let us know what you think at crypticpodcast at gmail.com. Check out our slick designs on t-shirts, stickers, and mugs, and water bottles, and stuff like that at crypticpodcaststore.com. And if you want to help us out with a one-time donation, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash crypticti. The funds are running out, so... Help us out so we can keep this uh, going. But I'm going to take the uh, first turn tonight and tell you guys what we're talking about. We'll start off in Sandown. Now, it's a charming seaside town nestled on the Isle of Wight's southern tip. And it's got quite a backstory. From its Roman roots where it was all about salt to its military days guarding against French invasions, it's had quite the journey. So we're talking about an island off of uh, England. Uh, Things really kicked into gear in the 1800s with the arrival of a train. Wouldn't that be exciting back in the day? Like, hey man, they're building a train through our town. This is awesome. And then now we're like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to sleep. Train's going to be coming in the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah, that not in my backyard kind of thing. Yeah. But... uh, (laughs) In, in current times, it's got everything you'd want from a classic British seaside spot. Sandy beaches, a bustling high street lined with shops and tasty eateries, and cool attractions like a wildlife sanctuary, and even a dinosaur museum. And it totally makes sense to put a dinosaur museum on an island off the coast of England. So there's a story that arises from Sandown and... It's not maybe quite as weird as Mel's Hole. If you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen. But it's really weird nonetheless. So picture this, all right? Two kids, seven-year-old girl named Faye, and uh, there was a boy with her, and his name was never revealed. So let's call him Billy Joe Bob, because I love that. Uh, But they were with their families just like on a little vacation. So it was a typical Tuesday afternoon around four o'clock when they heard this bizarre wailing sound and they described it as an ambulance siren, but a little bit off. And we all know what the uh, British ambulance sirens sound like. So there's that, but being curious, they decided to investigate, you know, what curiosity does. Following the noise led them across a golf course and towards a swampy area near the airport. But just when they thought they were onto something, the noise stopped. But Faye and Billy Joe Bob kept on trekking, hoping to uncover the source of this strange sound. And eventually, they came across a wooden footbridge. And that's when things got really weird, Ryan. Out from under the bridge popped a blue-gloved hand. 
followed by an even stranger figure. This figure seemed to be struggling with a book, and they were dropping it into the water and splashing around to retrieve it. So we're talking about kind of a, maybe not somebody who's totally in charge, right? Maybe not, we're not talking about like an alpha. We're talking about like, oh, kind of a silly guy. Almost sounds like uh, the Scarecrow from Wizard of Oz. But for the oddest part, they watched this mysterious figure make its way into a metallic hut, kind of like those you'd see on construction sites, but with no windows. So he's just got a metallic hut. Good for him. And it moved. So we're we're referring to this creature. Uh, It moved with a peculiar hopping motion, almost like it had springs for legs with its knees jutting up high. So it's kind of bouncy high stepping, I guess, which is what they do. Uh, But most of us would have run, but uh, not these two kids. They were brave or curious or stupid or a combination of all. They stuck around and they, uh, they were about 50 yards away from the bridge and the figure reappeared, this time holding a black knobbed microphone with a white flex attached. So a flex is something that you put the microphone in and you can adjust how the microphone sits. You see them at pulpits and stuff when people are reading at church or, you know, people switch off giving speeches, they adjust it. So that's what a flex is. Billy Joe Bob just booked it out uh, right when the siren started again. But the figure uh, seemed to catch on that he'd scared him and he stopped the noise and spoke into the microphone. So he's using a microphone to speak and they could hear him from a distance very clearly, like he was right next to them. And he kept saying, hello, are you still there? It's just getting weird. It's not like super scary, but it's just creepy and so bizarre. Yeah. Some of the creepier stories are the ones where it's not a usual kind of creepy thing, like I'm going to get you or red glowing eyes or whatever. One of the stories Lex Wall read on uh, anything ghost that was really creepy was this person describing, I think they said it was a dream, but part of the dream was somebody like rode up on a horse and they had this like baby with them, like an infant. And the baby started talking and it goes like, look, mama, I have teeth. And then like, open its mouth and it had like all these like sharp little teeth and it's like that's so creepy yeah and such an unlikely thing to just come up with (laughs) like that yeah the randomness of it just the randomness of ghost stories or thriller movies where there's like somebody standing in a corner yeah it could be something totally unrelated to the story and it's just like a creepy right i don't want to say like a jump scare it's it's like this it's like this unnatural thing that like triggers, I think, something in us evolutionary. Like people right. don't do that. People don't just say these things. People don't act this way. People don't walk this way. Right. <laughs> All these things should be red flags for you guys. But... <laughs> All right. So uh, they they thought that he sounded friendly, so they decided to come back and meet up with this figure. Uh, not sure. I mean, I think they think it's a male, but we're, we're not 100% sure. But uh, yeah, they they decided to go back because of a friendly voice. So 
we'll see how things turn out in this. But, you know, if you just happen to be a kid listening to the show, don't ever go with any stranger, uh, even if their voice sounds nice, even if they're dressed up and they've got your favorite Disney T-shirt on or anything like that. It's it's not normal. And don't don't mess around with stuff like this, especially this, because we have no freaking idea. It's like this guy may be trying to hide something, but just doesn't know how to try and be normal. But anyway, so they got closer and this thing was about seven foot tall with no neck and his head just kind of sat straight on his shoulders. Uh, So let's talk about his outfit, what he looked like. It was kind of a mishmash of colors and shapes. It was like a yellow hat. And we're talking about almost like a pointed old school clown's hat that had a uh, like a black knob on top, like a puff ball type thing, I'm thinking. Yeah, like a what do they call that? A pom pom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Pom pom. Good job. So I'm uh, I'm doing something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, This creature had a green tunic with a red collar and, of course, wooden antenna sticking out of its hat because we all know how wood does for antennas. Uh, it, it almost makes me think like he just like collected this stuff and thought like, oh, maybe I'll just use these sticks and tell them it's antennas or, or whatever, but it's, it's just so weird. Yeah. So this thing had triangle eyes, a square nose, and lips that looked like they were carved from wood. And there were random round markings on his cheeks and a fringe of red hair falling onto his forehead. So it's almost sounding like a painted scarecrow or maybe a doll from back in the day that had Mm -hmm. rosy cheeks and stuff like that. Uh, So this creature had wooden slats sticking out from his sleeves and trousers. Wooden slats. I, I mean... Now it's sounding like a marionette, right? I was kind of getting a picture of like a haunted Pinocchio. Yeah. Although Pinocchio would be pretty terrifying if it wasn't drawn by Disney animators. Right, right. So as they approached Sam, so I, I don't, did I ever say the name? We're, his name, if you want to look up pictures or anything, is Sam the Sandown Clown. Uh, so he whipped out a notebook and scribbled in big letters, Hello. I am all colors, Sam. And Faye read out the message. And of course, they were just more confused. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) So it got weirder. Sam started talking, but his lips didn't budge. So I guess wooden lips aren't very effective. Uh, They had trouble understanding him. But despite his odd communication, they did have kind of a conversation. They asked him about his torn up clothes. And he casually said, They were his only duds, so that's a cool term. Uh, When they questioned about the like this white hue of his skin, uh, things got even more crazy. They they basically just straight up at this point they're like, "Are you a man?" And he replied with a firm "No." And just when they thought they had it figured out, they asked if he was a ghost, and he gave the response, "Well, not really, but sort of." When they asked him point blank what he was, Sam hit them with a vague, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, this sounds like a terrible police and 
interrogation, right? Like, what the hell are you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, yeah, it's like, what's that scene from the 40 year old virgin where they tell him just answer every question with another question? Like, what are you looking for? I don't know. What am I looking for? (laughs) (laughs) So right now there's two kids about seven years old talking to a super creepy seven foot clown marionette with wooden lips that writes in a book and speaks through a microphone. Little confusing. Uh, So he sketched out what another, what he called quote, like him end quote looked like hinting that there were more Sam's out there in the world. And Sam said that he was terrified of humans and scared of being attacked. Now, that could be totally true, or that could be a tactic for somebody who's trying to, you know, abduct kids. Oh, I'm so scared right now. You know, you are playing the victim. You're playing the one that's scared. You're playing the one that, and then when they, you know, get close enough, like, oh, you grab them and throw them in your van. So right now, I'm still looking at this as a possible attempted abduction. But uh, Sam said he would not even lift a finger to defend himself if it came to that. I don't know. It's a bizarre thing to say. Like, if if something happens to me, it just happens and I'm going to accept it. So that's pretty weird. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know if it's something maybe to try to set you at ease. I don't know why you would say something like that. Yeah, it's just... It doesn't seem like the kind of information that would occur to you to a person to volunteer i mean that's all i can think of is it's to set whoever they're trying to get at at ease like oh i wouldn't i wouldn't hurt anybody even to defend myself and i know these are kids that are reporting this but it sounds Mm -hmm. like most of his conversation is kind of out of context like he's not really engaged it's kind of like they say something and then he says something you know yeah almost like it's not like trying to talk to somebody who's on the phone already and you think they're responding to you. It's like, (laughs) that's kind of a response to what I said, but I feel like you're talking to somebody else saying something else. Right. Like, Hey, did you have any trouble getting into work tonight? Oh baby, I'm going to be home later. Um, okay. (laughs) Well, why would you call me bait? Oh, you're on a fucking microphone and your hair's covering it. Damn. Damn, mm-hmm. I thought I was special. I thought you were talking to me. <laughs> I thought we finally took that next step. <laughs> Buckle up, Ryan, because things are about to get even more bizarre after a quick break. Welcome back, Trip Keepers. So Faye and Billy Joe Bob being these brave souls, decided to take up Sam's invitation to check out his humble abode, a windowless metal hut. Pretty scary. Almost sounds like uh, what they call the old Gulf, Gulf Stream trailers. Uh, oh, Airstream? Air, is that what it is? Yeah, Airstream. Those like silver ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that sounds like at this point, that would be the most likely candidate for what we're talking about even though they have windows so they had to crawl through this tiny flap to get in and when they were inside sam whipped off his hat revealing some seriously strange features round white ears and sparse reddish brown hair and inside the shack things were weird too had two levels a ground floor that was decked out in this funky blue green wallpaper and had all these weird dials all around 
and there was an electric heater and some basic wooden furniture, you know, stuff you keep in your metal hut in the woods. But to get even weirder, the first floor had even less headroom and was all metallic flooring. And Sam hinted that he had another camp on the mainland, but he kept quiet about where. So Sam, what do you eat when you get hungry, brother? Well, he survived on berries that he'd scavenged during the late afternoon, but he was tight-lipped about where he found them. I guess he didn't want to give up his food source, and who can blame him? So, now when you and I would do this, we may pick the berries off the vine, rinse them off, and eat them. But, not Sam. After cleaning them in water from the river, uh, <laughs> so... He busted out this bizarre conjuring trick. He'd stick the berry, and I'm assuming probably like blueberry-sized things here, but he'd put the blueberry in his ear, do some head-thrusting magic, and voila, the berry would appear and then pop out from one of his strange eyes only to roll down into his mouth. So I'm not sure what kind of mask he was wearing or whatever, but <laughs> I mean, I guess that's one way to check if you're berries are poisonous like if they you have an allergic reaction in your ear maybe i don't know that's really is that like a trick is he showing off i i'm assuming from what they described that that's how he eats everything so <laughs> he feeds it through his ear first yeah it's good to have berries man you don't want to try and stick a steak in your ear see i'm imagining somebody who smokes like trying to do that thing where they let the smoke out their mouth and into their nose to look cool yeah yeah. This guy's like, oh, I'll look cool. I'll shove this berry in my ear. <laughs> It'll pop out my weird triangle eye. <laughs> yeah, it, it is just so weird. So after about half an hour, uh, they decided the kids decided it was time to leave. And the first adult they stumbled across, they told that it, that they'd seen a ghost. But uh, you know, as as adults often do, he just brushed it off like your kids, whatever. So. According to Bufora, which is the British UFO Research Association, the kids were dead set on the idea that they'd either encountered a ghost or someone in a seriously strange getup. But they were convinced that what they were telling was true. They gave no signs of, you know, lying or joking or anything. Mm -hmm. Let's fast forward three weeks and Faye finally told her dad, who wished to remain anonymous as Mr. Y, about everything. Now, Mr. Y, being an adult, tried to rationalize things and said it was just a product of their imagination or someone pulling a prank in a funky costume. Now, I could see them having an active imagination, but that's like an overactive imagination you know like it seems too weird that they would just make things up like that and it seems odd to me that if someone was pulling a just a you know a friendly prank that they would do the whole berry thing like i don't know unless maybe that you know maybe it's a a clown that was practicing magic tricks for you know birthday parties or something i, I mean at, at this point i feel like Everything's on the table. So she uh, told her dad about this. And she said that Sam had three fingers and toes on each hand and foot. That's hard to fake, right? I mean, you could hold on to like 
a wooden slat or have like some sort of like small stilt, maybe like a drywall stilt that you're walking on, something like that. Mm. But if you're using these metal appendages, which apparent are wooden appendages, sorry, which apparently he had to use his hands and fingers if he was writing and, you know, collecting berries and stuff like that, do, you know, articulating things with these three finger wooden hands. That's super bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that is bizarre. Even if you, <clears throat> I had like toys as a kid. You probably did too. Oh yeah. Where it's like a skeletal hand or a robot hand. And there's like a pulley for like your two, like your pinky and your ring finger, and then independent yeah. ones for your index and your middle. Like I had those as a kid, and those you could mm. get pretty good, but like you would never trick anybody. You would never really be able to use it well enough. You know, yeah. a kid would probably be like, "Oh, there was something wrong with their hand; they couldn't grab stuff." Just, just pointing out like something somebody might try to use to debunk it. Like, oh, you can get toys like this, sure, but. Hard to use efficiently, especially if you if it's both hands. Yeah. Well, if you're writing, I mean, I could see. I mean, I know what kind of toy you're talking about. Maybe you could just throw a picture up on the screen. I could probably find one. Yeah. It. But like you're saying, I mean, you may be able to like pull all the fingers and hold like one of those big crayons, you know, like something like that. But you're not going to be able to like hold a pencil or a pen like you normally would. And you would have to be pretty darn good to be able to pick up a blueberry and stick it in your ear. I mean, I don't think that could really be done with one of these toys that you're talking about. Unless this guy, you know, just was just way way ahead of us in technology. (laughs) And he's like, I'm going to make a fake arm with this. Yeah. But Mr. Y... Faye's dad had his own experience and that made him take her story a little bit more seriously. So maybe there's a little bit more to the Sam character, but let's go back three years earlier to Tuesday, October 20th, 1970, when Mr. Y was cruising towards St. Helens on the Isle of Wight, making his way from Shanklin to Ride to catch up with a buddy. Now, on the road, something caught his eye to the right, a massive, multi-lit what he called quote aircraft hovering low over the marshlands around the river yar mr y wasted no time in pulling over to get a better look now he noticed a wide ring of seven or more lights each one shining like a bright red cherry with splashes of turquoise and white interspersed despite this encounter not a peep of sound could be heard so we're looking at something that looks like it is some sort of aircraft and at this point it's unidentified and it looks like something that would be making a lot of noise but it's not uh so mr y you know watched it for a while and then just started driving i mean there's only so long that you can sit and watch something if it's just sitting there and you don't have a camera or video camera or anything but in any case uh he got in his car and drove off and this craft decided to play tag following parallel to his car. Now that's how he described it to 
Bufora, uh, playing tag. So I don't think there's any part where he says like it came down and touched his craft or whatever. I think he was just using it as a description of like, hey, this thing was, you know, keeping up with me. And eventually it ended up just stopping and hovering about 300 yards behind him and rotating. So obviously you would feel awe, you would feel curiosity, you would probably be a little bit scared. And so he, Mr. Y pulled over again and got out of his car and whipped out his trusty torch. And I love that the British call flashlights torches. So if you hear that from someone from the UK, know that they're talking about a flashlight. This guy doesn't have like, you know, a wooden torch that's, you know, soaked in fat or something like that. But uh, this Bufora article doesn't specify if or what he was trying to signal with his flashlight, but he may have known uh, Morse code or something like that. That's what I'm thinking anyway. And I think everybody knows SOS and Morse code, but I don't know if that's something you want to, you know, give to an alien craft because they might be like, oh, you're in trouble. Well, we'll come and save you. You can come on our ship and, you know, whatever. (laughs) But in any case, the mysterious aircraft kind of stuck around with Mr. Y. When they finally reached his friend's place, uh, this object was playing peekaboo between the treetops. So, you know, hiding under them and then raising up to see them. Uh, but it, it eventually disappeared. It vanished into thin air. And that was the end of that encounter. But their weirdness didn't stop. So after that initial encounter, Mr. Y found himself spotting single balls of red light hanging stationary in the sky or following him around, almost as if they were keeping tabs on his movements. All right, so we're going to fast forward to March 1st, 1972, and this is between 9 and 10 p.m., and this same gentleman, Faye's father, Mr. Y, found himself perched on the cliffside at Compton Bay. And there was an unexpected tidal surge, and he thinks it may have been caused by some underwater craft lurking beneath the waves. And from where he was, he spotted two eerie yellow lights peering up at him from just 40 feet away, lurking not far below the water's surface. That's scary. I get creeped out when you see these Uh, like, you know, posts on Facebook where they show, you know, like an alligator looking up at you just from under the water and stuff like that. So that's what it brings to my mind. And that's, that's a creepy feeling to see that, like, you know, that what's under the water, you can see, you know, a couple inches of it, but it's like 12, 15 foot long. This thing could have been a hundred feet long, you know, peering up at him. So super creepy. He described them like the eyes of a monstrous sea creature. And so the tide eventually receded and he got out from his his little perch. So he scrambled back to his car and headed home. And, you know, obviously that's something that would stick with you. But when Mr. Y's daughter had her own bizarre encounter with Sam the Sandown Clown a year later, he couldn't help but empathize with her. So drawing from his own experiences, he began to wonder if there could be a connection between what both of them had experienced. And after his initial doubts, he couldn't shake the feeling. 
that Faye was not making up the story. So he shared it with Bufora, and his belief was that Faye might have been drawn into some sort of alternate reality created by this mysterious figure, Sam. So Sam did mention that he just constructed the hut they encountered. And, you know, I guess he mined some silver or some iron. I, I mean, I guess he could have taken the pieces from a junkyard or something like that. But the way he made it sound was like he had created it out of things he had found. So Faye mentioned to her dad that this so-called ghost two nearby workmen seemed completely oblivious. So when all this was happening, there were people working near uh, these two kids and they had no idea apparently because I mean, if you're, if you're out working and you see this thing, you're going to react. Now your reaction may be to see what the fuck it is and be like, get off our golf course, get out of here. Uh, it could be scared. They could, run away they could call the police but if you see the creature i've described you're not just going to go on about your day right you're not going to be like oh i gotta get this sand trap clean so maybe if he's still there afterwards i'll check it out what would you do if you saw something like this and you were just you know out for a walk or mowing your grass or something uh maybe try to wake up <laughs> 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 all there i can think go. of is like the old looney tune stuff where they're like they look at like i look at my water bottle like oh maybe mm -hmm. maybe this ain't so good so super creepy and and obviously they're kids so they may see it a little bit different than us yeah they're yeah yeah i i keep thinking about the fact that kids don't exactly have the language to mm -hmm. convey some of what they see it's kind of like with the ancient alien theories like maybe exactly. the stuff that we're interpreting one way is just because we now have language to describe things that they wouldn't have been familiar with back then. hundred so percent. It could be that way. It could be, I don't think it's like, Oh, here's the easy explanation for what they were actually seeing, but we might not be getting the most clear picture. Agreed. So Mr. Y decided to go see where Sam's house was. And I mean, I think if it was me, well, I know if it was me, if it was my kid, I'd be like, stay here. Tell me exactly where it goes. I'm getting to the bottom of this. Um, now, a little bit differently uh, here in Missouri, at least, uh, you can take your nine with you wherever you want. So if I'm going to see what's going on, I'm taking my firearm with me, taking a camera, a phone, and trying to get to the bottom of it. But when he gets there, there's no metal hut. There's no signs really of, of Sam at all. And that would either make you think mm, maybe they were imagining this. Maybe they were making it up, but not Mr. Y. He's like, see, they were taken into a different reality. So was there a connection between Sam and the UFO sightings made by Mr. Y? He thinks there is. But Sam the Sandown Clown is super duper duper you could add as many dupers as you want strange bizarre and that's why it fits in here so let's unpack some of the possibilities sam as an alien so given the story appeared kind of well in a ufo journal and around the same place where you know alien ships 
or, or what's believed to be alien ships have been encountered. So it's, it's something that we have to look at. Is he an extraterrestrial? His unusual appearance and behavior fit the bill for an otherworldly being, but it, it's, how can I say this without hurting people's feelings? It, it's almost like maybe if he was an alien, like he was some goofy kid alien, like not an adult, but still, you know, skilled enough to live on his own. But he just, his actions and words make me think of a child. And if he's an alien, maybe he's an alien child. I don't know. Where, where do you sit on that as him as an alien? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting idea that it could be an alien child. That's, uh, I mean, that's a thing that pops up in Star Trek every once in a while. Like they run into a super advanced being whose behavior doesn't make any sense. And they realize it's a child of mm. an extremely advanced or highly evolved race. Like they, they assume that with the power it has, it's an adult, but not necessarily. So that could be the case. I mean, I'm thinking about the description of it. And the alien thing could make sense. I mean, we talked last time about the number of colors men versus women can see in some of the more extreme cases. Mm -hmm. And it's possible that some of the bizarre aspects of its outfit or it's just sort of the way this thing is put together is because they don't know what they look like to other creatures. Maybe we can see colors they can't or see things in a different way. Mm could be that the kids are interpreting parts of a functional outfit as something that they're really not. Yeah, the alien thing, I'm kind of leaning towards a little bit more now than I was. Like, if you combine alien not knowing how it looks to humans, kids not having the language to describe it, and then, again, kids maybe misinterpreting what it's doing. Yeah. Like, oh, it puts in its ear and it came out its eye and went into its mouth. I mean, who's to say that they're not anthropomorphizing a little bit? Maybe it's a nostril yeah. instead of an eye. Who knows? Yeah. Real, like, you can look at a car <clears throat> and be like, that car has an angry face. Because we anthropomorphize True. like the headlights are like eyes, the grill's like a mouth or a nose. So That's 100% true. That's a, a good a good idea. Um, another thing that crossed my mind is if it is an alien child, maybe he just is dressed up to be goofy because he thinks it's a neat thing. You know, I mean, I had cowboy outfits I dressed up in. I had military outfits I dressed up in as a kid. I never had a scarecrow clown outfit, but you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe that's, you know, they maybe maybe it watched Wizard of Oz and said, hmm, the Scarecrow's the least threatening and kids love Wizard of Oz. So I'm going to try and be that guy so I can just make some friends. So, I mean, it doesn't sound like he had any nefarious plans because, it, I mean, he had them in his, you know, silver UFO hut. Yeah. yeah, he had them under his control and didn't really do anything too nefarious. All right, so Sam is a ghost. Faye and Billy Joe Bob were convinced that Sam was some sort of wandering spirit. Uh, like we said, they asked him if he was, and what did he say? Well, um, sort of, but not really. 
<laughs> so it's worth noting that he did say that he's not a ghost, but did say in an odd sort of way. That's super open to interpretation. Um, and maybe he wasn't sure what a ghost was. Maybe the kids weren't 100% sure what a ghost was. But I think we can rule out kind of the replay of an energy. It's not like a replay where he's doing the same thing, like walking down the hall every night at midnight. Right, right. not a residual kind of thing. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, you know, we always have to look at, and again, we have to look at the end because nothing bad happened to these kids. But I could see, you know, like a demonic entity being like, oh, I'm going to appear as something cool and fun and non-threatening. And if they had said, oh, he tried to tie us up or he tried to tell us, like, eat these berries or, you know, s jump off this cliff. It's, you know, it's fun to, you know, cliff dive or. Yeah. If it acts like Pennywise. It's <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I kind of rule out ghost, but anyway, Sam is a human. So it's possible that Sam was just a human with unconventional traits or behaviors. So he could be someone who's severely mentally disturbed, yeah. which makes it fantastic that the kids got away. Uh, or he could be, you know, someone with special needs because that would be a, a reaction that I would expect from someone possibly with severe down syndrome or something not to be mean in any or way but just to be odd and maybe think like, oh, if I put this mask on, you know, it makes makes my friends at school laugh and they think it's silly. So maybe these kids will like it too. Or it could be substance abuse or, or just being weird in general, like us. Of course, I would never do that. But uh, what, what do you think? Possibility of it being a human? I think it's a possibility, but it being seven feet tall or whatever, however you described it, it mm -hmm. the fingers, the, I don't know. It would be an oddly specific hoax that you have yeah. to practice all the time to be able to do. I mean, and to do it just for a couple of kids. Yeah. To just be like, I'm just going to, these kids are going to have a weird story to tell forever. That's kind of a weird motivation for this hoax. Yeah, and certainly if it was just a human, these other workers that were out there would have recognized it because they would have heard the siren too and it would have been really close to where they were at. So, I'm, I mean, I've got to rule out human because there's no explanation if it's a human why these workers didn't notice. Yeah. All right, and how about a shared hallucination? We talk about... Uh, like mass hysteria and stuff like that, or yeah. being affected by some kind of environmental thing like gas or mold or spores or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I guess it's possible they could have eaten some mushrooms and didn't mention it. You know, I mean, there's so much in play here that we're not going to be able to come to a, a, a real determination as to exactly what he is. But what do they call it? Folly ado, where 
two yeah. people share the same hallucination. Yeah. I feel like that's got to be extremely rare. Yeah. And again, going back to anthropomorphization, I can say that word, but uh, I'm just going to mess it up so you guys can laugh at me. <laughs> um, but even though it's two kids, if it was something like, you know, they were they were in the woods in Oregon and they said they saw a, a Bigfoot, but they just saw it walking between a couple trees 100 yards away. I would say maybe you guys both thought it was a Bigfoot, but it was probably a bear. You know what I mean? Mm. Like to me, I could see that as a shared hallucination, a falia do, if you will. But to have such a bizarre shared hallucination with such specific details, right. yeah. specific behaviors, physical attributes, like things about its attire, the wooden antennas, all that sort of thing. Yeah, you're totally right. Oh, I saw something tall and hairy in the woods. It's like, well, a bear stands up sometimes and might walk a little bit on its hind legs. That's yeah. that could be what it was, but not the bear was wearing a polka dotted <laughs> uh, tie and had a, a white Sox hat on and a Cardinals jacket. <laughs> it was chasing Goldilocks through the forest. <laughs> Give me my porridge back, bitch. <laughs> Actually, I guess it would be my kid's porridge. But in any case, I, I don't see that as a shared hallucination. So the only thing I have left is Sam as a prank. And I think we covered that with the human thing. This would be way overdoing it for a prank yeah it'd be an awesome prank but not for just two kids that you may hope go home and tell the story and you know it was three weeks before the kids even told their story so uh, i mean did he wait there for two weeks for someone to come and and find him i mean it, it just it'd be a fun cool prank but kind of pointless so yeah I mean, the most, I mean, I've done things just so that somebody will have a story. Mm -hmm. Kind of, kind of. I'm not, I'm not that crazy, but sure. I, I will, you know, I'll say certain things or I'll be really open with somebody just because I, or I'll make a certain type of joke and just like mm -hmm. walk away. Cause it's like, I know I'm never going to see this person again. And then they're going to have this story like, oh, this guy came up and made this comment. It, yeah. Like, and then just like, he just mic dropped and left. Yeah. It's like your story about uh, the wrestler. The right. Yeah. You know, just walk up, boom, drop a bomb and leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That guy did that. But it's, it's different to walk up to somebody and be like, you're the spitting image of, you know, whoever and then walk off then to set up a metal hut and all this stuff. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I guess it could be a prank on the part of the kids, mm -hmm. but I don't know, man. I mean, me and my friends played like pretend type games, but we never like tried to convince any adults that it was real or describe what we were, you know, what we had imagined up. So, yeah, I can't imagine waiting three weeks either, you know, like, Hey, let's wait three weeks and then do this prank. Unless they're like, hey, you know, our parents are being jerks. Let's mess with them. Tell them we saw this. Or, yeah. You know, I mean, it could be something as simple as, you know, Faye got in trouble 
for skipping school and not doing homework. And she's like, well, things have been hard for me since this happened. You know, I don't know. I just, it's such a bizarre story, such a bizarre creature. If I had to pick one, honestly, I would go with another dimension because I just can't see an alien doing this. And I don't think it was a human or a ghost. Yeah, even in comic books, there are stories of creatures from other dimensions who appear silly to us. Mm-hmm. But they have immense power. And that's kind of like this, like just something that's from a place that's so alien. It doesn't look like something we would necessarily take seriously or even be afraid of necessarily at first glance. It's just so bizarre. Yeah. You'd kind of be like, what? is this like what's going on why are your antennas wood why are you putting stuff in your ears none of this makes any sense but to that in its dimension it's totally normal yeah and that could explain the connection with the other phenomena going on like it's part of the same sort of uh incursion or reconnaissance or whatever's going on yeah so i mean i think that's what i got different dimension uh guys remember Never trust a clown, whether they're dressed as a clown or not. Do not go to clowns' abodes. If you see someone with wooden feet and hands, you know, maybe that's a sign to hightail it out of there. Mm. All right. Well, Ryan, what do you have for part two, brother? So initially I wanted to talk about McBike Mansion, and I can give, you know, kind of a brief history of it. Uh, McPike is, I was hoping, a little bit more documented. It's a mansion in Alton, Illinois. And my understanding of its history is that uh, Henry McPike purchased the land in, I think, around 1863. And by 1869, had built this house there. And I've seen it. I've driven by it. I didn't know what it was at first. And there have been stories about it. I mean, it's been investigated. I think I think ghost hunters might have been there. I know ghost, yeah, ghost shows, ghost documentaries, all that kind of stuff have taken place there. Back in the early 2000s when they had those really hokey ghost story shows, not like they've gotten a whole lot better, but they've done episodes about like weird experiences that people would have there. And the the house has recently been pretty well renovated. It's now on the Register of Historic Places or whatever the term for it is. I think I might have the uh, yeah National Register of Historic Places, I think is what that's called. Uh, but it's been bought by family. They've been trying to restore it. They're trying to kind of turn it into something. And what I found about it was kind of, uplifting a little bit i mean the history of it's not super clear uh henry's wife died in i believe 1867 before they were ever able to move into the house but he did live there until about 1910 and then we're talking about the mcpikes right now right the name that yeah yeah yeah. we're going back to the mcpikes okay so his son lived there for some time And it's not clear 
Henry McPike died in 1910. His son lived in the mansion for a while longer. We don't know how long. And it was abandoned at some point. Um, looks like in 1925 it was purchased by somebody who used it to rent out rooms until about 1945. And I don't know. The house was basically ransacked. A lot of the furnace uh, furniture, the you know, probably metals and certain woodwork were taken out of it, things like that. And the family who own it now uh, came into it through an auction. They just happened to see this piece of property for auction and they wound up buying it with the intention of restoring it. And one of the cool things I've learned because I've been in Alton a lot and I've known people that live in Alton, they, as they started to try to restore this and it was covered by the local news, people started bringing things back. Hmm. that's something that I heard from the owners of the place was like, you know, as, as word got out that we were trying to restore it, people would come in and say like, Oh, when I was 15 and now I'm 50, I took this. That's cool. You know, I took this book or this clock or this like piece of marble from something and they would bring it back. So there are certain pieces in the house that are maybe not original, but historic and came from it. So, it's really cool, and there are a lot of people saying that there are like a dozen ghosts in it. People tell stories about being in the wine cellar and hearing people walking around them or hearing the sound of the gate opening and closing, but there's nobody there. But there's just not that much meat to it. There are ghost tours and things like that, and Alton as a city is known for being haunted. So I know we... Why is that? Uh, because it does seem to be haunted. <laughs> I, I, but what did well, they do? I'm going to get into what they did, but a girl oh, that sorry. I know because she dated a buddy of mine, we were all talking one night and she was talking about growing up in Alton and that her family for a little while lived in these apartments that were super haunted. All these strange things happened. They'd see people, they would feel kind of like these influences and oppression and things like that. And they came to find out that, as with a lot of Alton, there was a Civil War prison. And when the war was over, that prison was torn down and the limestone was used in a lot of foundations. It's used in a lot of retaining walls. It's a very hilly area. So there's a lot of uh, these little structures meant to kind of retain the soil and stop erosion. There's a lot of cobblestone streets still there. Like a lot, just a lot of stonework. Beautiful town. It is, yeah. And a lot of it is just still the way it was. A lot yeah. of exposed stonework, and that's what they attribute that to because the theory is that limestone in particular sort of absorbs spiritual energy. And I even read before because I looked at a house there, <laughs> and realtors knew, oh, houses beyond this date, there's no chance that they have that stone in them or around them like houses from X year, like from 18, whatever to late 1800s, maybe very early 1900s, there might still be some of that stone somewhere in its construction. Is there a discount? <laughs> I, I mean, they're relatively inexpensive houses, honestly, <laughs> for what you get. Anyway, it's a really cool town. It's a really cool house. I would recommend that everybody kind of do their own research on it and maybe try to find some of these hokey old shows because they are pretty fun. But the other topic I wanted... Uh, let me throw this in real real quick. Maybe uh, 
we do a you know we get some more listeners aboard and we do a live episode from there yeah or you can just record an episode from there yeah you can reserve it for whatever you want to do there including paranormal investigations so that's pretty cool but the other topic i wanted to talk about was one of your recommendations something you wanted to cover which is the avro car well you can tell us all about it after a quick break Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Tell us about the Avro car. And I'm sure a lot of people will probably recognize it if you're watching the YouTube video. But I'm going to run some uh, like archive footage from some of the tests of it. But the Avro car was essentially an early vertical takeoff and landing vehicle, VTOL. The government and the military essentially realized that they needed this capability. The thought was after World War II and the invention of the atomic bomb that if there was another major conflict, it was likely to start off with atomic weapons and like massive destruction. And the idea was they didn't want to have to rely on runways and things like that. And at the time we had helicopters and those were starting to be used and Korea and into Vietnam and things like that, and they saw the value of those. So the idea was to try to develop something else, something that could reach higher speeds, higher altitudes, that could be used as a fighter, or that could even intercept like Soviet bombers and things like that. Mm-hmm. So a British designer named John Frost uh, wound up working with Avro Canada, which was a military contractor, kind of like a Boeing or a Lockheed in the U.S. and tried to come up with a vehicle for this purpose and came up with what you're seeing now, which is essentially a flying saucer. (laughs) Magic. thoughts on it? (laughs) Uh, I did want to say that the Harrier jet uh, was first used in 1969, and that is the jet that we see nowadays that can take off and land vertically yeah so well tell us where this went (laughs) well this they they started the design work on this in i think way back into the 40s maybe 47 ish yeah right around roswell huh (laughs) yeah yeah actually and that's something i want to get into too but anyway in the early 50s they really started working on this with Avro Canada, and it initially had its own project name. I think it was Project Y. And the idea was to build a vehicle that would use two different aeronautical effects. And I'm probably referring to these wrong, but go ahead and correct me (laughs) in the comments or email us, whatever. But the ground effect, as I understand it, is sort of the principle that causes a cushion of air to form under a vehicle, either through its propulsion or by the wings being close to the ground. So essentially an airplane, it's easier to sort of hover close to the ground and take off because of the 
the high pressure between the ground and the wings or between the water and the wings or whatever it is. Makes sense. So the idea was they would use this effect to help this thing lift off and be able to hover without having to have any kind of runway at all. And then the other effect is the, I think it's the Kawanda effect. Um, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but essentially it's the tendency for fluids and gases to kind of stick to a surface. It's the same effect that causes it to be that if you try to pour soda out of a glass bottle, it will kind of stick to the bottle and run down it instead of going in the glass. And that is really where this UFO flying saucer kind of shape comes from. They wanted to create something where they could use that effect and the shape of the vehicle as a whole to direct the exhaust and the propulsion gases so that they could kind of use the whole thing like a control surface. And initially, Frost had a really probably very dangerous design for an engine, <laughs> a new kind of engine. Essentially, the vehicle would be much bigger than what we're seeing in this test footage and the pilot being an enclosed cockpit in the middle. And <clears throat> with a jet engine, you have the stages that are in a line in the engine. In his version, as I understand it from looking at the blueprints I was able to find in the sketches, the whole vehicle was kind of an engine, intending to blow that propulsion gas out the bottom. But that means the driver, pilot, whatever, is surrounded by fuel tanks and then surrounded by combustion chambers and then surround I mean by all the workings of it which potentially is extremely dangerous but the really the issue that they ran into was Avro did not have the amount of money that they needed to make this thing work so as they got into the 50s they started kind of shopping the idea around to the US military to see if there was interest there and there was. The U.S. definitely wanted some kind of fighter that could, like the Harrier, that's basically what they wanted. They wanted something that could be used for troop transport, for combat, for all kinds of purposes. And they wanted it to be relatively inexpensive. So in the end, they wound up using off-the-shelf parts, like off-the-shelf, from other military contractor-type companies. And essentially using pre-made jet engines did away with some of the benefits of this shape, but the idea still was this was the best shape to create that air cushion. And uh, they had the intention by 1955, and again, everybody email me in or comment if I'm wrong, <laughs> the Air Force had thrown some funding into this. And by the end of it, they had spent $10 million, which is probably a lot more in today's money. I probably should have done the conversions, but they had the intention of this operating it up to Mach 4 and being able to reach altitudes of 100,000 feet. And they went through several designs, several different models. Uh, they wound up developing pretty ingenious sort of mechanical gyroscopes to help balance the vehicle since it was sort of pushing all this gas out through the center and they had to figure out a way to balance it on the end of that. But that's ultimately where they started to run into problems. In some of this footage, you might be able to tell as the vehicle's lowered to the ground, it's creating that cushion of air that it's hovering on. 
but the higher it goes, you can sort of envision the cushion of air that's lifting it getting thinner and thinner. And some of the pilots reportedly said it was like trying to balance a plate on top of a stick, but you're on the plate <laughs> while you're doing it and you can't see where the ground is or what's going on very well. And uh, ultimately it had to be discontinued. It was never able to really take off very well because of these stability issues. I mean, you can see here it's essentially acting as a hovercraft without a skirt. Because yeah. the skirt on a modern hovercraft keeps that cushion in place. You can have a great level of stability. But it, it was just never all that useful. Yeah. And within about 10 years, by uh, 1961, the program was canceled. Part of that is because of the heat produced. They found that to give it more power, the heat that these engines would produce, they, were, they would use three of them. Initially, they wanted to use either Frost's custom design, or they would use, I believe, six jet engines with a pilot in the center of it. And the heat in the tests with that was so extreme that it was already to the limits of what the metals in the craft could handle. And it was pretty dangerous for the pilot. <laughs> I mean, essentially, like it. it would have been almost glowing red. It would have been so hot if it was flying around. But it, yeah, I think it only ever achieved uh, like 35, 40 miles an hour or something like that. And it was eventually canceled because so much money was put into it. But it is shown to have contributed valuable information about just aerospace in general. But I do kind of wonder... I mean, just taking a conspiratorial look at it, they went on with this for 10 years, and I feel like the government has a tendency to cancel things a lot quicker than that. If we look at things from a political standpoint, almost every time a new administration comes into power, which is every four to eight years, typically eight, because the incumbent usually wins, a lot of what the previous guy did gets thrown out the window. Immediately. And this is something where all they achieved was this hovering and they let it go for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, one of the comments I found when I was looking at forums talking about this was like, you know, the article was something like this is, or the post, it was something like the real history of like real flying saucers. And then somebody commented like the real uh, cover story for flying mm. saucers, something like that. Could be. Yeah. And I, I mean, it makes me wonder. Maybe there's they've declassified this, but is it possible that the U.S. military came in and said, okay, what was your original design? Like, the way you really wanted to build this, the way that makes the yeah. shape make sense, let's build that. Yeah. You can actually do Mach 4 and 100,000 miles, or 100,000 100, miles an hour, that'd be awesome. 100,000 <laughs> 100, uh, feet of altitude. I mean, that if they were able to develop that and it's actually just a military tech that they've never been able to tell us about. But don't we think that because of, of what we're watching, that this jet propulsion is not going to work for this. It's kind of like, was it, I think it was Einstein that said, 
if you hoped to achieve with light speed or achieve light speed with a modern rocket, you would have to have more fuel than would be able to come off the ground by the power of the rocket itself. So with something like this, I mean, this is not carrying payload. This is no, I mean, no, this looks like They're a fun not. thing to have on your farm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it seems to be struggling to carry one person in the weight of itself, let alone being a troop transporter. Well, here's another thing that says the government may have been a little bit more invested. Uh, $10 million in 1955 is supposed to be in today's money, 2024, $115 million. Yeah. That's a but lot relatively of money cheap as far as military spending goes. It is sad. And that's sad, but it's a lot of money right. for a project still, that basically a made or what looks like, I mean, I would buy that. If I could go to like a tractor supply store and buy one of these, yeah. like for agricultural use, if it was safe. Yeah. That'd be awesome. But I mean, for me, when, when I was doing my research, I was hoping to find more conspiratorial stuff about this. I have, I had seen this before and I had seen a lot of people saying like, Oh, the government doesn't know about UFOs. Then what was this that they were trying to build? I see it kind of referred to, but not being really explored. Yeah. But I mean, the guy who designed it, they did not build it the way he designed it. So maybe it really would have worked. I mean, the real version should have been several times larger than this hmm. and potentially able to reach huge, you know, tremendous speeds. But the, the other uh, point that I came across was at the time there was no computer control, you know, present day we have for, mm -hmm. I mean, so, so cheap. You have controllers and sensors and things like that, that can level out like a drone. If you had something like that, like that, that can help keep these vehicles oh, yeah. level, it would have made a huge difference with this. I mean, it, it was even part of the limitations that they discussed in one of the documentaries that I was watching about it was, because they were relying completely on analog technology and basically physics, you know, sort of mechanically driven gyroscopes, electronic control mm. might have resolved a lot of these stability issues and it might have worked much better than it did. <laughs> I feel like chat could drive that. Yeah. <laughs> Some sort of AI. And ideally, wouldn't you, I mean, in my mind, if I was in the Air Force, my goal mm -hmm. would be pilotless aircraft. You don't have to put somebody in danger. You don't have to worry about their interpretation of things. You worry about the facts that are fed into the cameras and sensors on these items or on these UFOs or disks or whatever. This thing, it, it looks like somebody got overfunded and they're like, let's, let's just see what we can do. I mean, I, I was just gonna say, it's hard to imagine this working on any scale because the bigger you get, the heavier it's going to get, you're going to need more. Well, I mean, the idea was the engine would be sort of part of the structure. So the bigger it gets, the mm. bigger the engine gets just by default. So okay. the propulsion capability should have scaled with the size of the vehicle. Gotcha. But Avro decided that it was too expensive to try to design and build the or to build this engine that Frost had designed. So they mm -hmm. kind of tried to refit it with 
what they had available to them, which obviously didn't really work very well here. But I mean, combining some of this, I mean, they've, they've said that there's a lot of valuable lessons learned from this. And some of those lessons might have been wait till we have electronic control, computer control to help with stability. Wait till we have better manufacturing processes and better metals that can handle this stuff. And I mean, who knows what's out there? Weren't Predator drones unknown until one crashed somewhere? Sounds right. I think there are a lot of military. Yeah, I think there are a lot of military technologies that are just totally under the radar, no pun intended, until something happens that accidentally exposes them to the public. Yeah. Yeah. And I get that. You know, there is a need for secrecy on some of your technology, but there's also something to be said for putting out fake stuff. They could, you know, this, these films we're watching, you know, they could say, oh yeah, this was, uh, we had a a video camera in uh, 1913 that captured this. We've got Mm -hmm. flying saucers. You better leave us alone. Yeah. Or it could be, you know what? That's not a bad idea either. Just trying to say, uh, trying to put out the message. If you know, like the Soviet, I mean, this is Cold War era stuff. Mm-hmm. If you know the Soviets are trying to figure out what you're doing, why not keep spending money on developing what you realize is a dead end technology? Yeah. Just so that the out. Soviets will keep doing it. Yeah. Like let them keep wasting money too. Let them yeah. keep watching you do this and be like, oh, what, what if they crack it? We have to keep on this. Yeah. Yeah. So are we ready for final thoughts? Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is a cool story and it's cool technology and I could just watch this footage all day. It's but... it's calming. It's like watching jellyfish float around. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, I I don't think that with jet engines, this is something that's going to work. If there's another propulsion, something like that, I I think it could work, but I, I don't know. I feel like it's just not efficient enough, you know, without, I don't know, without being able to do anything with it. What are you going to do? I mean, even if this thing itself, if what we're watching could fly, as fast as an airplane and land vertically. I mean, basically vertical takeoff is the only thing that this provides that a a regular, you know, I don't know what was around back then. The, what was it? The phantoms, the F four phantoms. It it can't do anything around that time. Yeah, I think so. But so, yeah, I could totally see it uh, being like, Oh, you saw the Nazi bell, right? Well, we've got our own thing. This is, Mm -hmm. you know, this, this footage is 30 years old. We're just putting this out there. So you guys, you know, maybe uh, mind your manners a little bit because you don't know what this could have turned into. And back in 1955, I mean, listen, I don't know much about, you know, any kind of aircraft or propulsion that's, that's used. But back in 1955, say, they could have seen this or Russia could have seen it or anybody and been like, Oh my gosh, they are about to break it. Uh, yeah. Maybe we just, uh, you know, send the U S a nice letter saying we're going to play nice from now on or something, mm-hmm. but I don't, and we haven't seen it come out. I mean, we have drones now that are 
just extremely efficient. And it feels like this technology is what's going, the drone technology is what's going to uh, carry us forward and not a flying donut. Yeah, the version, okay, so this is according to Wikipedia. I'm looking at the Wikipedia article while while we're talking about this. Mm -hmm. So this thing was 18 feet in diameter, three foot, six inches tall, because you're kind of sitting in it, sticking out of it. Mm -hmm. It, uh, the maximum speed estimated was 300 miles an hour. The actual speed attained was 35. The estimated range was 995 miles. Actual range was 79. The service ceiling, meaning meaning the highest it can go and and perform as expected, was anticipated to be 10,000 feet. Uh, Three feet was its actual service ceiling. (laughs) Now, I could see something like this being effective to a certain extent if it had you know, another lift system that may be popped out like, Hey, you want to go, you can vertical take off and land. If you can get to, you know, maybe a hundred feet or, or whatever, you can pop those wings out and have some extra lift. And, yeah. And, and they, they did apparently experiment with versions where they added uh, fins or tails, things like that to kind of stabilize it as it moved faster, but stability and safety seem to still be the main issues. But I think it's a really cool vehicle, and I think it's Mm -hmm. a cool um, kind of throwback to, I don't want to say when military stuff was fun, but it's (laughs) like when it was just so, when it was cool to see things come out that were so different. You know, it to me, it, 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 on a much different scale, reminds me of when I was a kid and new devices would come out all the time, like a new thing that did this, a new format of, you know, whatever of like when CDs first came out or mini disc or things like that. And it's like, Oh, this cool new technology. And now everything is an app or a phone that's slightly better or a laptop that's slightly better. And it's gotten so boring. And in the last couple of years, it seems like some companies are starting to create, gadgets and devices again and it's kind of the same with this it seems like with computers and simulations we've gotten to a point where we've pretty well figured out aerodynamics Mm -hmm. and everything's sort of iterative and you don't have anybody being like let's make a flying saucer let's let's try to control these couple effects and see if we can create a flying saucer that might work, might not. Yeah, but there's also like Boeing and and the other uh you know, contractors that make planes and stuff out there, they don't have to build this to see if it works. They, you know, enter it into computer programs and stuff like that. And then the computer will say, probably not the best idea, guys. You want to put it in the wind tunnel, go ahead. But it's kind of a waste of money, Uh, Mm. you know, where they can enter things in like, hey, this is the weight. This is the fuel. This is the shape. And then the computer can say, probably not going to work, guys. So it, it, it saves them a lot, but I mean, what do I know? There, there could be, these things could be all over Antarctica, you know, pulling out, uh, relics and, you know, Atlantean stuff. Who, who knows? It, it yeah. it's a cool thing. I would love to have one. Uh, how much would you pay for one? If, if you had, uh, say you say, say you made 150 a year. 
and you you knew you were going to have this job as long as you wanted, how much would you pay for a, an Avro car? And I'm not talking like collector's item purchase. I'm talking like own to drive around your property. Oh, if I was making 150 a year, probably 30. Sounds about right. I mean, people pay that for like those Polaris off-roading vehicles and those slingshot things and stuff like that. It's so crazy, man. Like you can buy a well kitted out like Honda Accord or a three wheeled go kart with no yeah. roof. It's it's kind of ridiculous. And those side by sides, I realize people need them on farms and people that hunt need them because they need to drag the deer out of the woods and stuff like that. But when I was a kid, man, dune buggies were sand rails. They looked fast and they were cool. And then now it's like side by sides that are, you know, 25 grand. And it's like, I I just give me that, you know, give me that sand rail. You want to take that 1600 CC engine out and drop a, you know, like a VW turbo in there or something. That would be cool. And I feel like you could do that for like 12 grand. So, yeah, different time. Yeah. The, the good old days all right well i guess that's all we've got for you tonight please like subscribe and share socials will be in the notes let us know what you think about all this stuff let us know what kind of format you like if you like a long format where we go on a deep dive on one topic or if you like it if we split it up or if you want ryan just to do the episodes from now on and me just to sit here and look pretty let us know at crypticpodcast at gmail.com. You can check out all our cool stuff, and there's a lot of cool stuff, at crypticpodcaststore.com. And if you'd like to buy us a coffee, you can do that at buymeacoffee.com forward slash crypticpi. And going back to the McPike Mansion, remember, haunted houses serve as reminders that some mysteries defy explanation and that the paranormal is a force to be reckoned with. Good evening, Crypt Keepers. <laughs> <laughs>